The New Testament gives us a lot of insight into Ephesus and into the church of Ephesus. Acts chapters 18, 19, and 20 were really all about what was going on in Ephesus. When you look at 1 and 2 Timothy, those two letters that Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, Timothy was in Ephesus. Timothy was overseeing uh, the church. As a young man, he was overseeing the church in Ephesus. And as you saw some of those pictures, this is no small little backwater town. This was a major metropolitan area at the time. Um, when you read Revelation, the first letter to the seven churches was to the church in Ephesus. You've got the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You know where those were written? In Ephesus. John was living in Ephesus at the time. He was taking care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and that's where they were living, was in Ephesus. And so, you got it. John's gospel was also written at Ephesus. Um, John, if you remember, was the only disciple to die of natural causes, um, and it was in Ephesus that he lived out the remainder of his life. Um, but rather than being a letter, the, the, the letter of Ephesians, rather it primarily being a letter to the believers in Ephesus and dealing with the issues, the, the specific contextual issues that they were dealing with and going through in, in their lives at the time, rather than being that, the book of Ephesians is really more of a broader letter to the greater body of Christ. And many would argue that it's one of Paul's, if not his primary, most intentional and systematic portrayal of Christian belief and of Christian behavior, even more than Romans. Um, the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to set this up by putting a picture of a, of a, of a rocket ship up on, on here because this is kind of how I, my analogy of trying to help us understand how Ephesians is presented to us and really how the Christian life looks. So on May 21st of this year, that was just a few days ago, SpaceX's two-stage Falcon 9 rocket lifted off from NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Houston, Texas at 5.37 p.m. Eastern Time. And it sent this Crew Dragon capsule. That's where they had the crew in, in the capsule up at the tip of the, of the rocket, right? It sent them up toward the space station where some folks are going to spend a little bit of time in the space station. So it's liftoff time, and, and after stage separation, Falcon 9's first stage booster, first stage, this is a two-stage rocket, remember. The first stage comes back to land, but this blows my mind because Elon Musk, when he does things, he goes all the way. I, I don't know if you all have seen how now the booster rockets actually, when they, when they separate from the rest of the rocket, they actually come back down you know, to earth and land and, and are reused. When I first saw that the first time, like real, I thought I was, that, that only happened in movies, but it's going on in real life. But anyway, so the first stage rocket, it does its job, it separates, it comes back to Earth, and then the second stage booster kicks in, and it launches this SpaceX Falcon 9 into orbit, and then they connect with the space station. So look, it takes a lot to get a rocket off the ground. It takes a lot of power to get a rocket lifted off the earth to defy gravity and to place itself into perfect orbit on a perfect course. And here's the analogy. It's also that way with us. It takes a lot of power to get us off the ground. What do I mean? To break us free from this world. It takes a lot of power to separate us from our flesh, from our old nature, 
from darkness and to place us into a new orbit as sons and daughters walking with God. It takes a lot of power to do that. A whole lot of power. And like a two-stage rocket, the book of Ephesians has two stages that, that together, these two stages, they launch us and they keep us in our new life in Christ Jesus. So as you look at the book of Ephesians, it really is two parts. You have chapters 1, 2, and 3, which are stage 1 of the liftoff of the Christian life. And then you have chapters 4, 5, and 6, which are the second stage booster of the Christian life. So stage 1 of Ephesians and of the Christian life is what? It's a vertical focus. It's, 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 our, it's all about our relationship with God. Where the, the second stage booster, if you will, the second half of Ephesians also is all about our relationship with others, with one another. The first part of Ephesians, and really the first part of our Christian life, is all about our salvation being worked in us. And then the second stage of Christian life is all about our salvation being worked out in our lives. The first stage of our Christian life and the first stage and the first half of the book of Ephesians is all about what we are saved by, maybe a better way of saying it is uh, by who, right? The second half of Ephesians and the second part of our Christian life, what comes next is what we're saved for. It's a progression. It's a two-stage progression. It's what we read in Scripture, uh, how we're justified, first by Christ. And then after we've been justified, we go through this process of of walking with Jesus and being sanctified in him. And both stages are extremely important. we got to have both, but they got to be in the right order. Christian behavior doesn't come first. Christian belief comes first, then Christian behavior. And if you get them out of order, if you get the cart before the horse, what happens? Think about it as a rocket. If the second stage booster fires up before the first stage does, the whole rocket blows up. You don't get off the ground, and you don't find yourself in a nice, peaceful orbit. It doesn't happen. The same thing with our lives, and the same thing with how Paul presents it in the book of Ephesians. There's an order to things. Stage one, then stage two, you can't live for God until you've been redeemed and made new by him. And we read about this in Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 8, 9, and 10. Check this out. For it is by grace that you've been saved by faith, and everyone should say, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Stage one. Right there. Just happened. Stage one. By grace, through faith, you've been saved, not because of yourselves, but because of what Christ did. Stage one. Not by works so that no one can boast. Now let's look at stage two. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do that stage two. In a nutshell, that's the two stages of the Christian life and what Paul's going to present here in his letter to the Ephesians. So we're going to focus, though, today on stage one, that vertical stage, that vertical relationship that we have with God. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul wants the church to connect with God's purpose and power, and it starts with connecting us to God's purpose and power for Christ. It always starts with Jesus. If anybody asks you a question about the Bible, 
A safe answer is Jesus. Why? Jesus. Who? Jesus. 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 And that's where Paul starts in this letter to the Ephesians. With God's purpose and power for Jesus. Here's what we need to know. Here's what the world needs to know. God's purpose and power are revealed in one place, in one person. His name is Jesus. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. It says, in him, speaking of Jesus, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished. Notice he didn't just kind of give us a little little bit, just enough to get us by. But what do we have? We have redemption. We have the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed where? In Christ. To be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. For what purpose? To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So, what do we read here? Right off the bat, Paul's presenting the gospel, this two-stage reality of Christian living, and it all starts with Jesus, and we discover that the purpose of God for mankind is to redeem us, to redeem mankind back to himself. God's purpose for us is unity with him. That's God's purpose for you. Why am I here on this earth? For unity with God the Father, the creator of the universe. That's why you exist. That's why you were knit together in your mother's womb. Fearfully and wonderfully made for unity with God. You know, when God created mankind, he placed them in a garden. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. And you know what? Before sin entered, what was the relationship? What was the unity? God would walk with them in the cool of the day. Unity with God, that's our purpose. That's why we're here, is to have unity, relationship, to walk with, to know, to listen, to talk with, to engage with the living God. That's why you exist. That's it. Why am I here? That's why you're here. Why did God let me be born? It's a horrible day. It's a bad week. It's a, whole, it's a bad year. It's a no good, downright, whatever that book was about how it's horrible, right? Terrible what? I love it. Terrible, horrible, Terrible, horrible very bad day. Why, why, why? Why am I here? Why are you here? Unity with God. That's why you exist. And the power of God to do this, to bring you back, back to and bring you into unity, to bring you into relationship with God, the power is revealed and released in Christ. And that's how Paul launches this amazing letter, by reminding us of that. So I got a question for you. Have you experienced God's purpose in your life, unity with God? Do you know unity with God? Because you can today if you don't. Today can be your day where you can know unity with God for now and forever. And Paul tells us where that's found, in Christ. 
in Christ. And you can know Christ today, and you can know unity with God, and you can walk in the purpose of why you're here today. Today. Have you experienced the powerful, redeeming work of Jesus in your life? If you have, you have unity with God. So Paul prays that the church would fully grasp God's purpose and power that are found in Christ alone. And we find in Ephesians 1.17. By the way, if you didn't know this, we're in Mission 27 and we're in the book of Ephesians. How about that? I just, I just jumped right into it. Sorry for not setting it up that way. But we are in the book of Ephesians. Last week was the book of Galatians. We're going to be in Ephesians at least one more week after this. Maybe a third week in Ephesians. Again, we're only going through the first three chapters today. We're kind of setting it up this way. So Paul prays that the church would fully grasp the purpose and the power for Christ and what he's done and therefore who they are. And he, and he prays this over the church. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you. He's praying this over the church, not over the world, not over sinners. He's praying this over the redeemed, sons and daughters of God. Those who have been, been brought into unity with God through Christ. He's praying this over us right now. And he's saying, I keep asking of the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the Spirit. That's a capital S. The Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know Him better. So that you may know Him better. God wants you to know him better. You. Who am I? You're the one he wants to know better, and you're the one he wants you to know him better. Does that make sense? God wants you, and he wants us, the church, together, corporately, to know him better. I pray this prayer over people very often especially when I don't know their relationship with the Lord. But I pray it over myself, too. I pray this prayer over myself, that I may know him better. And I pray that every day I know him better. That's why you'll hear me say sometimes, you know what? The way I teach a certain thing today is different than the way I taught it and understood it five years ago. Why? Because I know him better. And you know what? Five years from now, I'm going to know him better. And 500 years from now, in the eternal age, when I'm walking with him in the cool of the day, I'm going to know him better and better and better. What a joy. And Paul says, I pray that you would know him better. I pray this over people often. I pray this over my LDS friends often, that they may know Jesus better. Typically, I pray this prayer when I'm opening up a session at, at, at the Capitol or, or some other gathering where there's just all kinds of people. I pray this over people that they may know him better. And God wants every single one of us to know him better. And it's my prayer for us today that we, right here, Evident Life Church, brothers and sisters, that we would know him better, that we would grasp God's purpose and his power in Christ Jesus, that we would know him better in those ways, that we would know who he is 
more and more and that we would understand who we are in Christ more and more. God wants that for us. He wants that for you. But in chapter 1, Paul says that we are predestined. And I've, I'm like, i got to talk about this. This has been one. I'm on a, I'm on a few journeys right now, and I'm just telling you. I'm on, and the elders can testify to this because we'll be texting and we'll be talking in our elders' meetings and we'll be writing up position papers and ideas and thoughts like crazy. We're processing. I'm, so I'm processing a few things right now. And, man, this whole thing, when, when I'm reading in here, and it's in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5, and also in verse 11, where the, the word predestined is used. Predestined. And I'm like, man, that's an exciting word. It's encouraging. It is. It's encouraging. But I think there's a lot of confusion about it. Predestined. For what? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? When we see something in the Bible, for what? Pourquoi? Why is it there, right? Right? Why is it there? That was Spanish, by the way. It wasn't like me acting like a chicken. Just to let you know, we're not that kind of church, all right? We don't, anyway. So, Let's look at Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6. For he chose us. God chose the saints. You know what? I'm doing this. Let's open this up here. Ephesians. Ephesians 1. Let me just start it with this. Y'all are ready for like a four-hour, like, deep dive teaching time, right? We're ready to go here? All right. So, Here's how Paul opens up his letter. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So he identifies who he is, and then he identifies who he's writing to, who this whole letter is to. He says, to the saints. Who are the saints? Those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Right? No longer sinners, but a saint. By the way, if you have been born again in Christ Jesus, please do not call yourself a sinner any longer. I believe that's to denigrate the blood of Christ that he spilled to redeem you and to to transfer you from the old nature of a sinner into a saint. And, and God is very clear. He's calling you a saint in his scripture. And so he says, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So that's who this letter is to. It's not to the lost. It's not to all humanity. It's addressed to the saints, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, who's us, the saints, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, he says, For he chose us, who? The saints. He chose the saints, God's holy people, as he says in verse 1, He chose us in him. By the way, in him is used 10 times in the first 13 verses of Ephesians. In him. It's all about being in him. Are you in him? You need to be in him. Otherwise, none of this even applies to you. But it, it can apply, and God wants it to apply to you. For he so loved you, he so loved the world, that he gave his only son. Okay, so I'm preaching this morning. This is fun. This is awesome. So, for he chose us, God's people, the saints, in him before the creation of the world. Why? Why did he choose the saints? To be holy and blameless in his sight. 
And then it says, in love, he predestined us. Predestined who? The saints. Who's the us? The saints. He predestined us, the saints, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So, check this out. What we just read was God chose that his holy people, those in Christ, in Christ, the saints, in Christ, he chose that his holy people would be holy and blameless, and he predestined us for what? All right, let's look at that. All right. So the doctrine of predestination, I'm going to talk about it just a little bit. This is brief. This is not the deep, deep dive. This is just a little bit of talk. I, what I'm doing is I just want to talk and look at what the scriptures say, not what's, what all the theology books say and all that. Just what, what does scripture say? All right, what does scripture say? Um, and I hope that's what you want me to do, right? Just what does Scripture say? Don't get out my books and big old things right now, right? Okay, so predestined. What does it mean? Predestined or predetermined in the Greek. The Greek word there is prurizo, P-R-O-O-R-I-Z-O. P-R-O-O-R-I-Z-O is the Greek word for predestined. When you see the word predestined or, or determined in the Bible, that's the Greek word. It's used four places in Scripture, in New Testament Scripture. So I want to just quickly go through the context of how it's used in those four instances, all right? So it's used this way. And I'm, I'm going in this because it, it, it talks about this in Ephesians. And I want us to just get a, get a picture and just, what's it saying? So Acts 4.28 is the first time that we see this word perizo used. And what is it? It's God predestined the cross of Christ. God predestined that Jesus would be the sacrifice, that he would hang on the cross for our sins. That's what was predestined in Acts 4.28. In Romans 8.29 and 30, what is predestined? Believers are predestined to be like Jesus. Isn't that amazing, by the way? That God has determined that believers, those who are in him, will be and be being more and more like Jesus. You can look to your neighbor and say, that's for you. You need that, right? Okay. So that's what God predestined in Romans 8, 28, 29. Remember, he says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And that whole, it's all in that context in Romans 8. Okay. 1 Corinthians 2, 7, God predetermined or he destined to include Gentiles among God's people. That's the mystery of the gospel that was predestined or predetermined in 1 Corinthians 2, 7. Not that there would be certain people, you know, that selected and others that, that, that weren't. That Jesus made a way for all, and he, he predetermined the mystery of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 2, 7, is that Gentiles, which means all non-Jews, are now open and able to be included into God's people. How, why, through, in him, through Christ. The way, the only way, Amen. Ephesians 1, now we're in the fourth section, fourth place where predestined is used. Ephesians 1, 5, and 11. Paul stating that those who put their faith in Christ, the saints, we just looked at that in verse 1, who he's writing to, the faithful in Christ, those who heard the gospel and believed it, as we see in verse 13, that, that they are predestined, but for what? They're predestined or chosen to be holy and blameless. If you are in Christ, it has been predestined that you will be holy and blameless. You've been chosen to be holy and blameless. If you're out of Christ, there's no way. But those who are in Christ, who have received him as their Lord and Savior, you are chosen to be holy and blameless. And you, it's been predestined that you will be adopted as sons and daughters. Do you know that we are saved and we're being saved? 
justification, sanctification. And then we will be saved, glorification. Do you know that it's interesting in Scripture that we're, we're considered sons and daughters, but it says that we, we will also fully be adopted at some other point. That's when Christ returns and there's the, the fullness of it all taking place. So it, we, we have been adopted, but we will be adopted. And that has been guaranteed. We were going to sing a song about all his promises are yes and amen. And all of his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And it's been predetermined that his people will be adopted, will be his sons and daughters. In other words, the destination of those in Christ, those who hear and believe, is set beforehand. The destination of those in Christ Jesus is set beforehand. Purizo. In Ephesians, Purizo is about the glorious inheritance and the blessings that God has predetermined for his sons and daughters, who by faith are his. And if you look at who he's talking to, he's talking about those who are in him. And if you go to verse 13, go to verse 13. In verse 13, and you also were included in Christ. Again, this is all about those in Christ. How? Are you included in Christ? Well, Paul makes it simple. Again, the Bible doesn't, God doesn't keep us guessing about stuff. We make it so hard. We create these frameworks and all these hoops and everything we got to jump through. We make following Jesus and understanding God's truth so hard when God lays it out for us. We just read and just let the Bible say what it says and not anything else. It says that, and you also were included in Christ when how? How are you included in Christ? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. How are we in Christ? When we heard it and then having believed, so we hear it and then we believe it, then we're marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise and of his glory. There it is, right there. All right. I just wanted to take that opportunity to have a little biblical and theological discussion about that. There's a whole lot more. We can go a lot deeper on that. And this is something, all of this kind of stuff, I mean, so much stuff is debated in the body of Christ, and we shouldn't divide over stuff. We divide over way too much stuff. We should divide over if somebody says Jesus is not the only way. You know what? They're not in the faith. I'm just telling you right now. There's only one way. But man, there's other things that are those secondary issues that super smart, God-loving, God-fearing men and women who've gone before us have debated about time and time again. And we get to be on that journey now of wrestling with those things and, 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 and just pressing in to the truth that we find in God's Word. My, my, my hope is, is that we will be a people who press into this by going to the source and reading it. And I'm going to move on. Can, can you all handle a pastor that, that, is, that wrestles with things and that, that's um, it's willing to let God stir him up a little bit and, and move his cheese a little bit? And then I, I'm not okay just letting that happen in the background. I like kind of like you know, thinking out loud, living out loud, and including you all in the journey. I, I hope you're okay with that. And... Um, my desire in, in, in all of these things as I, as I do this and I press into this, my desire is to know him more. 
My desire is to, I'm going to, listen, let me just say it this way. This is where, this is where, I will stand before the, we will all stand before the Lord someday, but I'm going to stand before the Lord someday and I'm going to give an account for the role that he had me in as a pastor and as a preacher of his word. And that's kind of scary. It, it just, it is. It, you know, the last thing I want to hear is, why did you create all those extra hurdles? And why did you make it so complicated for the people that I entrusted, you know, you know, pastor? Anyway, I could go on and on. But I'm just saying, that's some of who I am, how I process things, why I'm willing to go some places with stuff and stir some things up, because I'm going to stand, before, we will all stand before the Lord, and I don't want, I don't want this time on this earth to be burnt up. I don't want, I don't want the ministry to be burned up. I don't want to, I don't want to miss it as much as it's possible. I want to be walking right with God in all of this stuff, all of this stuff. Point number two, God's purpose and power for all people. God's purpose and power. That's, that's chapter 2. You're going you're gonna to recognize once again. You see Paul doing this in so many of his letters. Highlighting God's purpose and power for all people. Paul reminds us that God's purpose and power has made a way for all people. Jew and Gentile alike. That's everyone. He's made a way for all to be reconciled to God. God didn't choose Israel to be a blessing at the exclusion of everyone else. God chose Israel to be a blessing to all nations, to be the people through whom he would bring the Savior of the world. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14 says, But now in Christ, I'm going to have you all say it, say it in Christ. Amen. Amen. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away. How many of you once were far away? I was there. You who once were far away, speaking primarily of Gentiles in this, in this context, now you've been brought near how by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, Jew and Gentile, which is all the world. He's made us one and has destroyed. I love that word. We need to use words like that more in the church. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. It's God's purpose in Christ to bring the whole world into the holy of holies, into the kingdom of God, the dividing wall has been destroyed. It's been destroyed. And this is going to be the reality for all believers. Here it is, right here, Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. God's purpose and power to bring all into his family, in him, through him, by by grace, through faith, hear the gospel as we read in chapter 1, verse 13, to hear it and then believe it and to receive the gift of the Spirit, that's for you. It's for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. It's for you. God's purpose and power is for all people. And it should compel us to share this good news with all people. Nobody is off limits to this. Nobody's excluded. And I want to remind everybody, faith is not a work. Faith 
is putting our trust in the work of another. It's putting our trust and our belief in the work of Jesus. He is the one who saved us. Christ alone. Christ alone. We just say, yes, you did. Yes, you did. That's faith. We trust. Point number three, God's purpose and power for Paul. I'm going to just hit this one quickly. Ephesians 3, 7, you're going to see that Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by which the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. By the way, God has a purpose. And through his power, you will accomplish that purpose. He has a purpose for you, a ministry for you. Don't think you're just in a holding pattern and it's up to other people to, to minister the gospel. No, he has a purpose. And he's given you the power through the Holy Spirit to accomplish the purpose that he has for your life in Christ Jesus. Point number four, God's purpose and power for the church. And here we see in Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, uh, verse 10. Verse 10 and 11. Say that his intent was that now, through the church... So this is after Christ lived, went to the cross, buried, resurrected, ascended, is at the right hand of the Father. And Paul writes and he says, hey, his intent was that now, through the church, New Testament church era, which we are still in, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. To who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Through who? Well, we just read now through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what do we discover about God's purpose and power? Purpose and power in Christ. There's a purpose and power for all. There's a purpose and power for, for, for Paul's ministry, and I believe for our ministry, for your ministry, there's a purpose and power for the church. And we discover that God's purpose is that through the power of Jesus, let's be very clear about that, through the power of Jesus, that his church, that's us, that we would make known his power and purpose. Not only to this world, but even to who, does Paul say? To the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. And he's going to say later in chapter 6, remember, this is not a battle against flesh and blood. but against spiritual principalities. Wow. So let me just par paraphrase it. Let me just say it this way. Beloved, as the body of Christ, we should be a billboard for the purpose and power of God. People should be able to look at the church. They should be able to look at your life and go, I see the purpose and power of God right there in that person or in that local church. Now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. If the manifold wisdom of God is not being made known through us, we're missing it, y'all. We're missing it should be made known, so much so that the principalities of darkness and the rulers and authorities even in the heavenly realms are hearing it and seeing it. It doesn't mean that we're screaming and doing all... No, it means that we are fully alive in Him.
We're being who we are, saying what we know, and giving what we have. We're the church. So Paul prays this over his church. And I want to pray it over us right now. So I want to just invite you just to posture yourself in a place of prayer. I'm just going to pray scripture. I'm going to pray the prayer that Paul prayed over the body of Christ in Ephesians chapter 3. I just want to pray this over you, over us right now. For this reason. Let me go back. What reason? That the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known through the church, right? That this is who you are, church. That you're in Him. You're in Christ Jesus. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know His love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I'm going to pray that again over us, God, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Pray that over yourself this week. Like every day. Pray that over yourself. Start to let that change kind of your expectation maybe of who you are and what God has for you. Pray that over yourself. God gave us this prayer, I believe, for a reason. Here's one more interesting tidbit I want to throw out there that I read about this week that I thought was just so cool. I, I didn't find this myself. This is just something, you know, we do our study, we do our reading, and man, some people just find some really cool things and just highlight some stuff. And, 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 and this is this, is that when you read Ephesians, you discover that Paul presents doctrine and he presents theology he presents his systematic understanding of Christian behavior and belief in, in like a worship service type of a sense. There's this order of worship. As you read, you're going you're gonna to see that Paul starts with a time of praise, just praising God for who, he, who God is and what he's done for his purpose and power. It's like a time of praise. And then he goes into a time of praying. Taking the truth of God and praying it over the body of Christ. And then he does some good old-fashioned preaching. And, and, and I know some people are like, why do we do church the way we do church? I don't know. Here's an example of that exact order of worship right here in the letter to the Ephesians. Where Paul is praising 
And then he's praying. And then he's preaching. And then he goes back and he does some more preaching. Because that's what preachers do. You know what I'm saying, y'all? We just do some more preaching. That's what we do. But what I want to point out is this. is that All of those components are important. Praise is important in your life. And it's important in our gathering. It's important for the believer to be one who is praising God. We enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Do you want to enter the courts of God? I hope so. I hope you have a heart for God that way through praise, through praise. Prayer, individually but corporately. He's praying this over the corporate church too. Here's my point. My point is this. All of these things, praise, prayer, and preaching, shape our beliefs and they connect us with God. And so I want to challenge you. If you skip or disengage in praise, corporate praise, if you skip or disengage and don't see the value in, in, in prayer and in corporate prayer, praying with the brothers and sisters in Christ, you're missing out. You're missing components and, and grace and means that God has given the church to interact with him. To engage with him. Don't see preaching as the pinnacle. Preaching is what I need. Preaching, you need prayer too with the saints. You need praise with the saints. All of these components are highlighted in this amazing systematic layout of Christian behavior and belief right there in Ephesians by the Apostle Paul. I want to encourage you to examine are you giving each one of these components really a chance in your life? If you do, I think you're going to be surprised. I mean, really engage. Engage with praise at the same level you engage with the preaching or with the Word of God. Engage with prayer at the same level and in intensity and dedication as you do the other components of the Christian life. Let's stand up. I'm going to close. You know, my, my prayer is that, that, man, this week, as you read through the book of Ephesians, because remember the Mission 27 process is this, is I kind of just, I tee it up, hopefully hit it straight, right? That's my prayer, Lord, help me, that I hit it straight, it lands in the fairway. That's, that's just the first step here. The most important thing is that we all together, that you are reading God's Word. Y'all, that's what's most important. That's what makes Mission 27, I believe, impactful for Evident Life Church this year. So get in God's Word. Hey, it's, they're getting shorter. Each of the books are getting shorter, right? You got six chapters, just six chapters here. You can read it 15, maybe 20 minutes. Read through Ephesians this week. And, and I, I believe that, that as you do, you're going to get a, a fresh perspective. It's going to boost your faith. It's going to it's going to increase your confidence in God's purpose and power.